1: Teased with the end of lockdown three in Britain, Manchester United and Oliver de Solskjaer continue to provide wins to help with the mood. One of those wins was an excellent dispatching of good Spanish side Real Sociedad played in Turin in the UEFA Europa League. The second was less convincing, but no less important, a 3-1 victory against Newcastle, which puts United in a great position in the Premier League. Welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate, where we're talking both of those games and previewing the second leg against Real Sociedad. As always, there's your extensive youth loan and women's roundup in the middle of the show where I talk Isaac Hansen-Aaron, loan moves are plenty and more. Jack, let's talk the positives first. In the end, it was a good win against Newcastle. It was a good win despite a European hangover. It's a difficult season and that first half will be forgotten before long and and so will the whole game because United won and in the end did so relatively comfortably and and that is a positive. The gap to the top remains massive thanks to City's um, imperious form but United are nine ahead of the pair of Merseyside clubs, six ahead of Chelsea playing them next week as well and four ahead of West Ham in a position where not finishing in the top three would be a a serious disappointment and a failure but to put ourselves in that position now is good.
0: When you look at the outcome of the week as a whole you you can't really complain about the way that it turned out a very comfortable victory in Turin over Sociedad that allows us to rest players for the second leg which is arguably more important than the result itself followed by a much needed victory in the Premier League to give us a bit of breathing space from West Ham who are suddenly now the, the closest challengers to breaking into that top three Ultimately, that is the most important thing coming out of a week when we could easily have been tripped up in one or both games and managed to not suffer the usual bad result after after a Europa League game, although the performance certainly did suffer, <laughs> especially in the first half against Newcastle. Ultimately, we always say that this is sort of the sign of a good team that you're able to not let bad performances, bad halves of games stop you from taking three points. We haven't done that well enough in the last month or so, And it was nice to see us in the second half pull away from Newcastle a little bit and actually secure the three points and in in the end have quite a comfortable victory.
1: Yeah, exactly. It it was comfortable in the end. It didn't, there was no sense of tension as you got to 80, 90 minutes and that I mean, that's that's good for the heart and good for, for my mental health. So that was much appreciated. And and I, I mean, just to keep the, the smile on my face before we get into some <laughs> defensive problems and problems with certain individual players, I think it's worth kind of reiterating just how good this week has been. It's not been overly entertaining. It's not been stunning performances. There's been no outstanding individual displays. But that win against Sociedad, against Real Sociedad, United make it look easy against one of Spain's better teams. Against Newcastle, we didn't make it look easy, but we came, as we've just said, away with a, a reasonably comfortable victory and, um, and and on the weekend where rival teams have, have dropped points and slipped up in Chelsea and Liverpool. Chelsea drawn with Southampton and Liverpool losing to Everton. Um So I think it is worth reiterating that point that this was an excellent week and it was an excellent week for for Dan James who has proved himself the ideal squad player, I think.
0: Yeah, Dan James was excellent. It was a great week for him in both games against Sociedad where he was perhaps expected to thrive a little more than against Newcastle given that Sociedad pushed very high up the pitch, allowed us a lot of space in behind. He was brilliant. And then against Newcastle, I was very, very surprised to see him start. I mean, it's his first start in the Premier League since the Leicester game on Boxing Day, and he's not really been close to getting a start. Recently, as Greenwood has come in and, and started more and more games, Cavani has come in and, and made that front line even more congested in terms of competition. But it was great and it's tough. it's tough not to be happy for him. He can be frustrating at times and we've all experienced that frustration with him. But performances like this remind you of why we all liked him so much at the start of last season and that he does retain some real value in this squad. He's clearly far from a a polished player and his end product still isn't great and maybe it never will be. But he at least offers us some constant movement and a constant willingness to make things happen and get on the ball. To be honest, that's more than can be said for some of our other other forwards and he really helped us drag Newcastle's defence out of position. We spoke last week that one of United's biggest failings against deep blocks is that our movement isn't good enough. And one thing you can never say about Dan James is that his movement is bad. He's He's constantly moving. He might not make the best runs you've ever seen but he's constantly dragging defenders out of position and jamal lewis on newcastle's uh, left back position wanted to come in field to stop martian fernandes and dan james and wan saka really reaped the benefits of that and sam Maxman not being too brilliant at covering back the whole game
1: yeah and uh, it, it, he does i mean he, he's giving us what has always been obvious which is that that speed and that hard work but also that positioning and, and rail sauce was, was obviously a game designed for Dan James and he thrived in it. But Newcastle at home is the kind of game where you think, where you see Dan James in the starting lineup and think, hold on, wh- wh- is he going to find space on in this fixture? But he, he hangs onto that right wing in space and it, it forced Newcastle's defense to stretch a little. Um, and, and when he gets it, he's finishing well and he's, he's, he's moving well. I guess uh, the sample size isn't big enough, but it's worth, bearing in mind over the next few weeks to see if there has been an improvement in his game, because it's, I mean, it's worth remembering that he's a a young player who's just come up from the the championship, as Solskjaer mentioned after the game. It's very possible that he's become better and that he's becoming more effective against teams in lower blocks, that he's improved his decision-making, his positioning and and what he does on the ball. but six goals in 12 for the season is a good record. Three and three, obviously, now against Southampton, Real Sociedad and Newcastle. We got a question from one of our patrons, Jonathan Goo, who says, Dan James is an example of coaching done right. They get a sabbatical, uh, sabbatical from the first team to study and improve. And then a couple of months later, they're back. But with some additional powers, he says, is this how or Alex treated young baby Ole too? And I guess... I, you, you imagine much of, I mean, we we know for a fact that much of Solskjaer's management style comes from what he learned under Sir Alex Ferguson. And yeah, I think taking James out of the limelight, as I've just said, six goals in 12, but 12 appearances for a season at this point is very few really. Um, and yeah, he's been out of the team, out of the limelight. And uh, Solskjaer spoke after the game about how hard he's worked. and but also I think, I mean, Solskjaer was very keen to say it was about confidence and uh, that's a big thing with Solskjaer and I guess a big thing with Dan James because we saw he was, you could tell in his game, in his in his football, that he wasn't confident towards the back end of last year.
0: Yeah, and it's been obvious from the, the start really that he's always been a massive confidence player. You can see how desperate he was when he went through the lead run, when he didn't score a goal for months until, I think, it he scored in the very last game before lockdown against Lask um, and he was just desperate for for a goal for months and that was really affecting mm. his confidence it's been the same for a lot of this season, to be fair. But I think getting that goal against Sociedad was huge for him. And he, he played really well against Newcastle. He, as we said, we we know what we're going to get from Dan James. It's not going to be the most polished, the best end product. He, he's never going to set the world on fire and he's never going to be getting massive amounts of goal contributions. But I think he can offer us something maybe slightly similar to what Jesse Lingard offered us, actually, in that... Just that dynamism, his his movement and his ability to work hard, as I guess as simple as that sounds, actually it makes quite a big difference. Because in games like the game it's Newcastle, it just provides space for the other better players to do their thing in the in the second half, especially when Dan James got on the ball a lot more. You know, every time a single time he got the ball, he was looking to to run at Jamal Lewis, take it to the byline and get a cross in. Even if one out of ten of those crosses doesn't well, doesn't work out. You know, sorry, only if one of the, one out of ten of those crosses works out, he's creating space for the likes of Fernandez, Rashford, Martial, whoever else it might be in there to do what their thing. Because he's creating space, he's taking the defender away, staying out, hugging the touchline. It's just not really something that any of our other forwards have. He's never going to start every game, and nor should he. But it was a reminder of the value that he can still bring to the team when he plays.
1: Yeah, exactly. There, there's no suggestion that he should be in United, a, a regular feature in United starting lineup. It's just a reminder that having a squad player like him is is very good, and it's. It, I think it's also comforting because United need uh, better squad players. The arrival of Tellers and Cavani helps with that, and and the return to form of Dan James certainly does. And yeah, you're right about hanging that uh, hanging out on that right wing. And it, I thought it was interesting that. Solskjaer was asked what changed after half time, and he mentioned the tempo, but he also mentioned the positioning and stretching Newcastle. And I think that was certainly down to, to James. Um, to, to go on to, to, to some negatives, uh, to, I guess two or three in particular. First one was uh, Dean Henderson started uh, against Real Sociedad and David De Gea came back into the team against Newcastle. Now, uh, Newcastle's first goal, it's 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 debatable whether De Gea should have done better, whether Maguire should have done better, whatever. But I think that the reality is that one thing is, is for sure and, and David De Gea doesn't inspire confidence anymore. He doesn't inspire confidence in his defence and he doesn't inspire confidence as a United fan because he's the opposite of a proactive goalkeeper. He waits for things to happen and reacts to them. And he can still make brilliant saves and showed that a couple of times, but he should have been proactive and come for the cross, which Maguire headed to uh, San Maximum. It was a poor header from Maguire, but De Gea should have come to get it. And then De Gea's attempt to save the what was a good shot from San Maximum, but his attempt to save it was almost half-hearted. Um, and then there's also Victor Lindelof, who has an alternative on the bench, like Henderson in Eric Bailly, who, yes, his um, his injuries make it harder to rely on him, but yeah the the De gea Henderson debate is something that one of our patrons Michael Byers asked us about, and it, it just seems like it seems just like these decisions are being delayed and delayed, and it, all, it just feels like somebody has to, that, that decision does have to be made soon to bring Henderson in for De Gea because he isn't inspiring confidence, and um, Henderson has done well when when asked to do so and deserves his chance.
0: Yeah, we spoke was it a couple of weeks ago I think about this situation and I said it feels a bit like a lose for everyone because we I don't think are getting the best version of David De Gea we're also not making use of Dean Henderson's talents and setting ourselves up well for the future in that we're not giving him the chance to develop on the pitch and Dean Henderson's also losing out because he's not getting the chances that he wanted he's not getting first team football in a year when he could and probably should be England's number one at the Euros, but might miss out because he's not being given the chance to play first-team yeah. football. I, I understand why that, ha- that change hasn't been made because De Gea hasn't exactly done anything terribly wrong this season. You know, there's been a mistake or two, but, you know, compared with where we were at the end of last season when it looked like it this really could be the end, it's definitely not been anything yeah. like that. But I think to be a top club and to make the most of the players at your disposal, you have to be proactive in making these types of decisions. And that means not waiting until something gets to worst case scenario before pulling the trigger and making a change. It means trying to be proactive and foreseeing when something might be happening, foreseeing what is going to be the best plan for you in two or three years time. And to me, there's absolutely no doubt that Dean Henderson has to be the future of, of United in goal. And... The fact that him and De Gea are are at a pretty similar level now, to me means that Henderson has to be the one that gets given more opportunities because he is our future as well as not giving us any downside in the present. I don't think we would lose anything by having Henderson in goal. And I don't think that we gain anything by having him sit on the bench and, and really just sort of wasting away this season. He's done perfectly well when he's come in. And there's no reason to me why we would be so risk averse in terms of the hair's situation. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree, and as Michael says in his question, the hair is seven years older than Henderson, and I'll add to that that the hair is on absolutely enormous wages. Um, I guess the, I guess the concern if you were Solskjaer sure, about taking the hair out now is then you get to the summer, and he's not in the team, and it's going to be harder to sell him if that's the thing you want to do. And if De Gea is not playing as United's first choice, then he has to be sold as soon as possible, purely because he's on more than £300,000 a week and is the highest paid goalkeeper in the world, one of the highest paid players in the world. And you can't have that kind of player sitting on your bench, as we've already discovered once with Alexis Sanchez. Um, But to me, it seems the logical decision uh, is uh is to bring Henderson in. If if it's down to finances and that United think we have to play De Gea until the end of the season to make sure that we can sell him or loan him out, then I guess there's there's some logic in that. But um, moving on to the defense as a whole, I wrote in a uh, in my reaction to the game that United have one of the worst defensive structures they've had for years, and I I do think that I think the attacking talent can often cover up for the defensive weaknesses, but the structure in defense is just simply not there as a pressing team we're ineffective we've got players doing what we used to call the anda herrera press which is just gambling <laughs> on a case-by-case basis and, and charging forward unsupported by teammates and leaving gaps behind them and it used to just be under herrera and now it seems to be a, a lot of people in United team everyone
0: has to go once. yeah again.
1: exactly and, and it leaves holes behind and it basically doesn't work when the wingers get back, and I guess this applies to Mason Greenwood best, when when he gets back as the right winger and gets involved defensively, United look a far more balanced and capable side. When he doesn't, we struggle. Uh, in midfield, we've got players who commit early, either by pressing too early, as I just said, or by tackling too early. Harry Maguire is a player who often tackles early in the counter attack, and that makes counter attacking against United all too easy. He takes set pieces. Sam Maximum equalised for Newcastle after we failed to clear from a corner, and that set piece that ended the, the set piece that set up the corner was after United failed to clear from a corner. It's a constant issue that comes down to not having a keeper who's proactive enough, not having defenders who is proactive enough, but also just it's a wider structural issue. We could. We could have Ruben Diaz and an informed John Stones in our defence, and we still wouldn't be having the record that City are having. And it's not because of luck; it's because of that. And it, it it's the one it's the one area I w- really will criticise the coaching staff on is the defence.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair enough. It we can talk until the cows come home about the fact that we don't have the quality of players that other clubs, say, a fully fit Liverpool or Man City, have and that's fair enough we don't you know I don't think anyone's under any illusions that Maguire and Lindelof are anything other than probably a a slightly above average centre-back pairing but at the same time there comes a point where you have to as a coaching staff stop looking at players that you could bring in and and focus on improving the ones that you have around you and this is a common accusation that, that we've had about United in the last five or six years that we just don't improve players once they arrive and in fairness to to Solskjaer and this coaching staff, they have improved the majority of our attacking players. But in defence, it, it almost feels like it's getting worse at times. I mean, there's just <laughs> so many repeated mistakes. I don't know off the top of my head, but I would love to know how many goals we've conceded from set pieces this season. It has been, it feels like it's been horrifically large amount of goals, yeah. especially in the last couple of months. It, it feels like it's getting worse. As you said, De Gea probably should have come for the cross that led to Newcastle's goal. Maguire then puts in a bad header, but it wasn't just the goal. It was the entire first half, to be honest. I we got to half time and I was I was beside myself, to be honest, in how angry I was. It's just an awful performance. And that was the attack too, but in defense, it's just mistake after mistake. But not just individual mistakes, it's just mistakes of, of a system and, and a team that doesn't really know how to defend as a unit there were three or four different times when Newcastle managed to get on the counter attack and, and we were lucky that they just didn't put away the chances Shelby had a shot from at the edge of the box after a counter attack in the first uh like four or five minutes there was a couple of times where De Gea and the defensive distribution trying to play out from the back wasn't good enough and even that we don't seem to play out from the back with any sort of coherence or any semblance of a system either it's sort of Just on the fly, there's no movement to make it work. The centre-backs don't drop deep enough to create the space. The full-backs don't get wide enough to create an outball pinged out to the full-backs. It's just all very haphazard, very unstructured, which is the the very, very worst words you could ever use about a defence, really.
1: Yeah, it's true. Plenty of issues to sort out. Um, And I'm not sure how the coaching staff do it if they haven't yet shown signs of doing it we haven't got too much time so we can't carry on with the defence another p- problem um, was Anthony Martial who we got a question from another patron Dave Shevlin who says what do you think's gone wrong with Martial this season um, it's I've rarely seen a striker or I've rarely seen anyone on a football pitch move so little other than a goalkeeper It just it, there's someone so clearly waiting for someone else to do something And the contrast between Martial and Cavani is so stark that it's embarrassing for him. He just simply let the game pass him by. And there was only... There was literally one moment of interest when the ball fortunately fell to him in the second half, only a few minutes before he was substituted off. He drove forward and shot well, and that was it. And I talk about being infuriated at half-time. It was the defence, absolutely, but Martial as well. And I... (laughs) It's a a strange season and some players will be struggling without crowds, with the fixture congestion, with the physical and mental demands that this season has placed on them. And Martial may well be one of them. And there may be reasons behind his form and behind his uh, appearance of complete disinterest, but it's not good enough. And him continuing the team is doing no one any good when you've got... Mason Greenwood raring to go behind, as well as Ahmad Diallo. It, it's hard to say what's wrong with Martial at the moment, but it, a lack of effort is something he's been criticised of in the past. And it seems that that is the case at the moment. He, As Dave says in, in his question, he looks a shadow of the player now that he was in summer and in seasons gone by.
0: Yeah, there was a, a tweet from Samuel Luckhurst of the Manchester Evening News during the game. Got a lot of traction on Twitter. And the the quote from Solskjaer on the sidelines, simply some movement, Anto, move, start moving. And I think that really sums up his performance. It w- it was genuinely awful. And there, there's no there's nothing really to save him from that, to be honest. I think having seen what Cavani has offered us in terms of his movement when he's played as our number nine in recent weeks, sort of highlighted how bad Martial's performance was. But even without that, those standards to compare him to, I mean, the level of movement that Martial showed is just unacceptable at any level. I mean, I feel like you could probably put Maguire up front and he'd have better movement than what Martial showed against Newcastle. We just had no, no focal point around which to operate at all. It stopped Bruno Fernandes from getting in the game because there was Martial wasn't doing anything to create space for either himself or for Fernandes. And I mean, in the first half, both, at both ends of the pitch, it was bad. But in attack, it, it really yeah. was woeful. I think after about half an hour, we'd had like one time when we'd managed to string together five passes in Newcastle's half, and there was really only a, a piece of individual brilliance from Marcus Rashford that that saved us, that saved us from going into the break at one nil down. And there was, a, a, I think, a great uh, article that I saw on the Manchester Evening News that sort of summed up. Martial's situation and that he's he's currently being outperformed by his predecessor in Romelu Lukaku who's banging in goals for Inter Milan at the moment by his replacement yeah. in Edinson Cavani who has been our best striker throughout the season and by his long-term yeah. successor in Mason Greenwood who has, despite not having his best season, is also playing better than Martial at the moment. It's, it's becoming, despite how much I, I think Martial has endeared himself to United fans and we will have such strong emotional attachment to Martial because of the way he started his United career and, and the truly great moments that he's provided us. It is becoming harder and harder to tolerate these performances and to to know how he fits in this team going forward.
1: Yeah, it it, it really was an unacceptable level of movement. I just have not seen anyone move so little in a game, as you say. There were And it was, sometimes he drift out wide and then just stay there. And make no attempt to get into the box as United central striker. He'd—I he, didn't see him make one run towards the near post when Dan James sent in multiple crosses there, as did Luke Shaw. It was it it was it, it was actually just confusing at times as as to what he thought he was doing. But you just thought he'd he'd drift out wide, he'd pass the ball, and then bid he'd be in a space of about four meters squared in which him, Bruno, Rashford, Shaw and Matic would all be sitting and he'd stay there and you just think to yourself what, what is going on? <laughs> what What are you thinking? Yeah. And I'd never normally criticise a player for a lack of effort but I do just think he he wasn't trying very hard for whatever reason. We we need to move on. I mean, and-
0: Tolshaw is oh. not a particularly blunt coach but for him to be, to be making that kind of comment on the sideline yeah. it shows you his frustration at, at the situation too. You know, that isn't what Solskjaer is normally like on, on the sideline by all accounts and yeah it's just it shows you the level of frustration that is growing around Martial at the moment I think and that everyone knows he's capable of producing so much more but when he offers that little to the team, you really can't justify keeping him on yeah. the pitch.
1: Yeah, uh, a one-legged Edinson Cavani would have moved more than, than Martial in that game. And and you just have to hope Cavani yeah. is fit for Sunday against Chelsea because Martial cannot play in that game. I mean, I wouldn't play him anyway because I'd play Rashford up front and then I guess Greenwood and James or Greenwood or Ahmad or whatever but but not Martial at the moment. Um, unacceptable. Uh, a, a couple more positives. We need to move on, but uh, Shaw good. Rashford good. Brilliant goal. Um, a panor and a near post powerful finish. You'd love to see it. Bruno Fernandes delivering still 40 goal contributions in 39 Premier League games. is just stupidly good. Not one of his best games yet again, but yet again, he came away with a goal and assist, although the assist was uh, somewhat fortunate. And then Sociedad, as we said, we, we, dispatched very well and entertainingly of a very good team. They're one of La Liga's best defences and and they got caught out by the pace. I, I saw an interesting theory in reaction from the Spanish press saying that because Real Madrid and Barcelona haven't played with pace up front for a couple of years now and in general, that Spanish teams are just getting done by it in Europe against English and, and Italian and German opposition they're just being done by the pace and it's it's an interesting idea that how much your league shapes your ability to defend against certain types of teams
0: Yeah it's an interesting theory, theory. I mean we certainly saw Sevilla get outdone by Dortmund last week and sort of similar scenario so I mean yeah. it makes some sense if it didn't work for us against Sevilla at the back end of last season but in the one-off game is obviously slightly <laughs> yeah. more difficult, but I mean, it is a, it's a theory that does make sense. And, you know, it's something I think the Premier League teams have struggled with in the past in the opposite sense in that the Premier League is all about sort of physicality and very dynamic, fast football. Whereas La Liga and to a slightly lesser extent, the Bundesliga, mainly with Bayern Munich, has been slightly so, slower, more methodical, more technical football and Premier League teams haven't been able to, to live with those Barcelona teams around the, the turn of the last decade and then Bayern Munich in the last few years some of the Real Madrid teams that just sort of keep the ball and actually sort of do similarly to what Man City are doing to teams right now and Premier League teams are also unable to deal with that so it, it, I mean it's an interesting point that the style of play in your own league does sort of dictate how you fare against various teams in Europe
1: yep right uh, we'll move on to our youth Alone and women's roundup and then we'll be back afterwards to talk Real Sociedad's second leg obviously Shola Shoretire made history becoming the seventh youngest player in Manchester United history with his substitute appearance against hometown club Newcastle United on Sunday evening in other academy news there hasn't been an under 18s game or under 23s game this weekend the under 23s play on Monday night after we record this they're playing Everton away from home it will be a tough game for them particularly because United have a lot of injuries Antonio Lange still out, still four to six weeks away from coming back they could also be without probably without Ahmad Diallo Shola Shorotere, and possibly Hannibal Medjapri too who picked up a left arm injury against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago that game is at 7pm on MUTV Solskjaer spoke well about Tere, saying he's going to play many games for us if he keeps doing what he's doing. Uh, and obviously Ahmad made his debut in midweek against Real Sociedad. He's the third Ivorian player to feature for Manchester United after Zaha and Bailly. Rashford's goal against Newcastle takes him level with David Beckham on United's goal scoring charts. He scored 85 times now. In academy transfer news, uh, the club are set to sign three academy players from Derby County for a combined fee of around three quarters of a million pounds that's according to The Athletic it's going to help with cash flow problems at Derby in loan news Jesse Lingard's stellar start to life at West Ham United continue this weekend with the winning goal for the Hammers against Tottenham Hotspur the 28 year old has three goals in four games now 16 year old Isaac Hansen-Aaron is set to return to his old club Tromso on loan until the summer he's happy at United and United are very happy with his development but Isaac has been in Norway since the winter break and the move just makes sense for all parties while things return to normal after uh, or during coronavirus. Dishon Bernards played 90 minutes for Salford City in a one-one draw against Carlisle United. The 20-year-old defender has missed only two of the last 18 league games for them. Ethan Laird played 78 minutes for MK Dons in a 4-3 win against Northampton Town, while James Garner played the full 90 minutes for Nossian Forest against Blackburn Rovers, showing an improvement in the defensive side of his game, getting stuck in throughout. And finally, Facundo Palistri made his debut for La Liga side, Alaves, coming off the bench in a 4-0 defeat to Real Sociedad. Alaves are just one point off the relegation zone now. There was no game for United's women's team this weekend. They play next on the 7th of March against Aston Villa, but for the academy, the under-18s take on 7th place Derby County on Saturday at 12pm on TV, and the under-23s face a trip to Southampton 2pm on Saturday. There was a good article on United's website from Adam Marshall pointing out all the goals scored by former United academy players, the academy graduates across English and European football. George Tanner scored for Carlisle United against Salford City. Also scoring in that game was James Wilson. Ashley Fletcher scored for Middlesbrough, Fraser Campbell for Huddersfield, Nick Powell for Crew Alexandra, Reese James for Doncaster Rovers against Hull City, Angel Gomez scored, Kenji Gore scored in Portugal, Michael Keane was man of the match for Everton at Anfield, Uh, Ryan Shawcross was signed for David Beckham's side into Miami, so plenty of good stories for academy players elsewhere. Right, Jack, uh, five years to the day on Thursday since Marcus Rashford made his debut since this uh, skinny kid from Withenshaw played when he wasn't meant to because of injury to Martial. Uh, uh, Will Keane was out on loan and James Wilson was injured and Rashford came in and scored two goals and scored another two against Arsenal and carried on and on and on until he was playing for England at the 2016 Euros. Um I mean, five years, first of all, uh, incredible. But United now have an opportunity to give some youngsters a chance against Real Sociedad. Solskjaer said he's not going to rotate too much and I I pretty much believe him. Obviously, Shola Shorterre and Ahmad Diallo in with a chance. Ethan Galbraith, I think, has a chance. I don't think Hannibal Medjbri or Joe Hugel are uh, eligible. They have to be at the club for two years and under 21 to be eligible if they're not in the, the official squad, which they're not. You think Albrecht has a, a possibility? I think Dan James will probably start. And to be honest, I can, I can, for some reason, I can still see him starting Harry Maguire, despite the obvious need to rotate. I guess the lineup depends on the fitness of Van der Beek and Cavani too. But with Chelsea on Sunday, which is a massive game, uh, it's it, it it does feel like he needs to rotate, even though he said he won't.
0: I mean, if there's no if there's no rotation or or very little rotation, I would be very very surprised. Solskjaer has had a habit of keeping in Maguire and Fernandez, uh, and sometimes Rashford and a couple of other key players in almost every game of the season i guess because he's slightly worried about rotating everyone and and what that might produce i think if there's ever a time to do it it's it's now surely you know 4-0 up against Sociedad against a team that threatened us in in the opening stages of that game but after that didn't really carry too much threat in the second half I think you'd have to say this is I mean we, we spoke last week I think that the chances for rotation are, are quickly running out and you know as the FA Cup ramps up we're now into the quarterfinals of that with a, a tie away at Leicester the Premier League is obviously the the main priority and, and the Europa League is only going to get more serious as the rounds go on this surely is our best chance for quite a while now to rotate I'm with you that I could see Maguire starting again. I, I think he has he missed a game all season. I know he's played every minute in the Premier League. I don't know if he's missed a game I don't think yet. He's missed a game. No. Uh, I, I think Rashford has played in every game, at least off the bench as well. Fernandez also is he seems very reluctant to to rotate at times. Personally I would I would want to see almost all of our regular starters be given a rest. Um we'll see how many of the back four in particular don't start. But I mean, it's yeah. it's an opportunity to give some of the youngsters more of a test. I did see a headline that uh, Sureteyre and Diallo won't start according to Solskjaer, but who knows if that's him just sort of trying to I put think a headline I out d- there. It
1: wouldn't. I, I I get the sense that that's just making sure the headlines aren't on them all week. I think I I, I don't think Sureteyre will start actually, but I think Ahmad Diallo. I feel, I feel like it, it seems logical that he would. I'd I'd be very much up for a front three of James Greenwood and Ahmad. Um, Although, I mean, if he wants to, because we need to get Martial back into some form and back playing properly. And I guess this is a decent opportunity to do it, even though it feels wrong because he deserves to be dropped. It's also another opportunity to play Henderson and, and then keep him in the team. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah The, the I, Martial I mean, point
0: is a good one. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Martial started. And it, and it makes some sense to me, you know, give him an opportunity against a team that is likely to, to be quite aggressive in how they come out of the blocks and will probably leave space for us to to capitalise on. It does make some yeah. sense to me to give, put Martial in there and also have someone above the age of 20 in the starting, <laughs> in the starting f- forward line.
1: Yeah, although, I mean, in terms of bringing kids in, uh, as I say, Hannibal and Hugh Gallant, uh, Eligible, And then you've got United's under 23s defense is ravaged by injuries at the moment. So in terms of giving rest to Wan-Bissaka or something, I, you could bring Brandon Williams in for sure. Alex Tellers will come in. Uh, for, I, I said for sure there, and it sounded like I was saying for Luke Shaw, I'm more meant for certain. <laughs> um, yeah, Alex Tellers, I assume will come in for sure. Brandon Williams, you can definitely bring in uh, for Wan-Bissaka as well. But in terms of center backs, Ted and Menke's out on loan, Dishon Bernard out on loan. Um, and the, the Will Fish is injured. The rest of the United's defenders are injured. You can't bring in Alvaro Fernandez, who's in great form. I don't think, uh, unless he's in the Europa League, uh, squad, but I'm, I don't think he is. Um, so yeah, there's not that many obvious candidates out of the, the under 23s. I think Ethan Galbraith might, might be one of them, Northern Irish midfielder, um, technically good, very easy on the eye. One of those who loves being in possession, uh, player alike. We're, we're not going to preview the Chelsea game today because we will be previewing that in a patron-only midweek session, uh midweek session, well, midweek show and I guess session after the second against Real Sociedad. So if you want to hear that, go and sign up to our patron. You can do so by following us on Twitter or going to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Uh We should wrap things up there and then we'll go to our patron Q&A Uh, Jack for more throughout the week where can we find you on Twitter
0: at UTDTait T-A-I-T
1: and you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and as I say the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D there thank you very much for listening as always uh, hope you've enjoyed the show and have a great week goodbye